1: The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And join me this episode for the first time in a couple weeks is Will Miles from his site, ReadAndReaction.com. And you can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, it's, uh, it's been a little, uh, been a little bit since we got together.
0: Yeah, man, you give giving me a little bit of a break every once in a while. It's good. You know, pe- people need to know that this isn't a uh, – <laughs> that, that you're not the slave driver everybody makes you out to be. But, uh, no, nah, man, it's been nice to have a couple of nights with my family. And uh, I'm back, though. It's fun talking about the Gators. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, I know. It's like every time – you know, it seems when I think I can maybe take a week off for like maybe a week to only have just one episode. It did work out that way last week with uh, Will Salmon from The Athletic, a great episode there. But there's been coaching changes that's kind of been sprung up. It makes me do another episode or whatever. And uh, maybe some commitments coming along the way in uh, the next week or so that will also throw uh, another wrench into the one episode a week plan. But uh, you know what? Uh, as, a, as the monarchy goes, there's never a dull moment.
0: Yeah, man. Well, you know, this it's uh, it's a good thing that your wife's understanding and that she, <laughs> that she lets you do all this sort of stuff. But certainly, it's it's I, I'm sure it's like this everywhere in college football. But it certainly seems like there's always more going on in, with the, with the Florida program at any given time. So, uh, hey, man, we're heading in the right direction. Certainly, Mullen had a good first year, and and the news right now has all been good for the most part. And so, um, you know, a decommitment here, a commitment here or there, no. no you know it's it's fun to talk about but nothing nothing like some of the news it could be so um you know i'll take the good news i'll take the football discussion
1: yeah um about the whole wife understanding part uh, very understanding and uh luckily uh if people uh uh we're, we're kind of following through social media she had a half marathon at disney this past week so i get i get the i get the little break uh, a built-in break because she's usually working out around this time at night so it allows me to uh, kind of shift to the uh, makeshift studio and uh, record a lot so uh you know between the hours of like 8 and nine thirty at night that's kind of the, the open window of her doing her working out and me uh working out the vocal cords
0: yeah well you've chosen to only have one child so that's it. i've got three so it's a little bit different but uh now congrats to kaylee i mean that's that's a big deal to go out there and run a half marathon it's not uh not a simple thing to do otherwise everybody be doing it so that's, that's pretty cool
1: yeah i got to meet some listeners too uh who were at disney at the same time so it's always cool to uh you know get noticed for the podcast and uh talk to some listeners out there i met i met a few of them uh that listen to the podcast So really cool just to be able to uh, run into uh Went into them out there and, uh, you know, tossed some gators just for a quick second. And, uh, it's just a behind the scenes thing of, uh, being able to meet people. But, uh, well uh you have certainly been missed and everybody's been able to to keep up with you at readingreaction.com. Uh, and we'll get into uh the 2020 class, uh kind of how it stacks up with some of the top 100, top 300 players. Uh you really sprung it on me uh with some of your articles uh there uh and talking uh, of uh the recruiting lately and how, and how it stacks up as well And really the, the kind of the top echelon of players uh that uh you, you know it takes to 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 win uh, those championships that uh, were so coveted. Uh, with the gators but before we do that remember you can find gators breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash gators breakdown you'll find all the gators breakdown episodes as well as articles from the news for jack sports team catch us on itunes google play youtube and spotify when using those services please share rate and review the show and on social media follow gators breakdown on twitter and facebook at gators breakdown so we'll before we get into yeah uh, you know I, I go into the episodes being able to take notes and stuff, but uh, late last week I kind of had to shift focus a little bit uh, when the the 2020 class took its first big hit uh, after its great start with running back Kayvon Lee, uh, decommitted late last week. Uh, The 98th ranked player in the country for the 2020 class, uh, the decommitment, you know, means uh, a little momentum is lost with the 2020 class. Uh, It is early and, uh, you know, decommitments are going to happen, but, you know, there's no issue for me, uh, if some want to get upset in losing his commitment, uh, he is a great player. but He's been rising in the rankings. With all that said, you know no reason to panic. We can still assess. You know what happened, how it plays out. You know part of the fun in recruiting is is following it day by day, week by week, month to month, uh, and seeing the final results. But uh, it's a roller coaster if you choose to follow it like this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's definitely true. I mean, anytime you've got somebody who's a top hundred talent, who's decides- just to take note of. Now, I would say that um, for the most part, you know, Florida has been really good at recruiting at running back recently. I mean, not with Naquan Wright this past cycle, and then, you know, all the way back to Michael P. Ryan and Jordan Scarlett as well. So um, they, they're pretty solid in that space. So you don't necessarily look at it and say, okay, running back is maybe a place where you can afford to lose someone. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is the verbal commitments at this point really do tend to hold, you know, 80, 85% of the time. So that's why they're important. That's why you pay attention to them. But there's no reason why he couldn't flip back to Florida. There's also a certain five-star running back out there that people have been looking at and tweeting about. And if this is an indication that he's going to come, then I think that people would, uh, you know, would, would would make that substitution. So, um, you know, you never want to lose a top 100 player, but, you uh, You know, again, I I think where we are this year versus where we were last year is really night and day. Um, I think June last year, um, Mullen still only had three blue chip guys recruited or three blue, three blue chip guys who had committed. This year, he's already got five who verbally committed. So Lee was the sixth. Um, Again, you don't want to lose somebody like that. But just when you take it, when you when you take a look at just large picture where's Florida today versus where they were last year comparing the 2019 versus the 2020 classes. It's really not anywhere close.
1: Yeah, we'll certainly get on, we'll certainly get in uh, to that. And you brought it up, though. Uh, you know what it means is is Demarcus Bowman right now running back out of Lakeland is a must get. You know he, he was for me anyway, of course. Uh, but uh, but absolutely is now. Uh, so you know the Gators need to secure his commitment. Hopefully, a, a, a quarterback Carson Beck commitment shortly uh, to get some momentum back uh, and, and the class is set up nicely going into the summer and fall. You know, hopefully this plays out where you know Beck Bowman commits. Uh, have, you know, Florida gets Lee back in the fold. Uh, you know, just just getting Bowman is great. Uh, but give me two top one hundred running backs. You know, difference makers. Uh, other names you might see floated out there: EJ Smith, Emmett Smith's son. Uh, there and Lawrence, and I know I'll mess this last name up here, but to Toafili. Uh, if anybody knows out there, they'll have to correct me. Uh, but that's another name to watch uh also uh as we move forward uh, if the gators are to bring in two running backs uh, in this 2020 class
0: yeah again i think if you bring in somebody the quality of bowman you probably don't need to worry <laughs> about having two two running backs though certainly uh, ej smith is somebody that people have sort of looked at and targeted and said you know just from a sentimental perspective you'd like to have somebody like that on the team even if he wasn't as talented as he is but he's certainly a good player as well i you know it, it's interesting that um You know, we sort of went over maybe a month ago where Florida had a bunch of blue-chip recruits, and they had a lot of them at cornerback and defensive back. They had a lot of them um, at wide receiver. And so there are some spaces that they need to fill. And one of the things I'd look at for this class in particular is you've got Johnny Brown, who's a defensive tackle, and Gravon Dexter, who's a defensive tackle, both in the top 117 right now. And so, you know, Mullen can shoot – Mullen can be a little bit – he can be a little bit targeted in terms of where he's going now because this is going to be his third class at Florida. He's no longer trying to pull a class together for that transition class, and he's no longer just really trying to maximize the talent level. At this point, you can start looking at it and saying, "Okay, I'm going to pick this guy out." And and you know they're starting to draw that circle around the around Gainesville, which is great to see.
1: All right, so that's it for uh, you know a little bit of bad news. Hopefully, it picks up uh, back. Then to the hopefully uh, 2020 class picks back up soon, but uh, we'll definitely hit on what they have in the fold so far. And will you know you kind of sprung the idea on me like 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 I said, you know the last two weeks you've really dove into the recruitment of top players and and their success on the field. Uh, you know over at your site over at your site readingreaction.com. Uh you've hit on top players and, and what that could mean for Florida. 2019 season uh, in your most recent release, you, you know, you tried to gauge the development of players under Mullen and, and that development compared to his peers.
0: Yeah. It's sort of been a two week series. Looking back, it, it, it all started right after signing day. You know, you looked at it, it depending upon how you broke down the, the, the class, you know, I really didn't know what to think of it because if you looked at total blue chip players, well, Mullen had 17 compared to Zuckmeyer and Muschamp, who were all in that range, whereas McElwain only had nine. So you look at that and say, okay, just from the stand, just from a volume standpoint, Mullen's really brought in a similar class to those guys in his in his second class. But then you start breaking it down into one versus a hundred, or a hundred to two hundred, or two hundred to three hundred, and Mullen only had four top 100 guys in his class, and then he had four guys in the hundred to two hundred range, and then five guys in the 200 to 300 range. And those five guys in the 200 to 300 range really are the difference between his second class and McIlwain's second class. And so what does that mean? How often do those guys, how often are those guys successful? And, And it does turn out that those guys tend to be successful You know, the guys in the 100 to 200 range and the guys in the 200 to 300 range end up getting into the NFL at about a 20% clip. There's a real drop off. And I was surprised at how early the drop off is when you just again, I know that getting to the NFL isn't the only metric to use. But, um, you know, 80% of the guys in the top 15 in the 2013 and 2014 classes all the NFL. And then it immediately drops to 50% when you go to um, when you go that next year from 15 to 30. And then it drops off pretty precipitously from there. So you end up down in like the 25% range, once you get into guys rank 75 to 90. So, um, you know, again, when you start looking at that and saying, and when we look at some of the classes in the past that Zook brought in where he's got guys like Chris Leek and then Tebow's got or and then Myers got people coming in like Tebow and Harvin, you know, those are the stars. Those are the people that we remember and they're top 15 top 30 guys. And they're the guys who really went on to the NFL and had maybe not successful careers in the NFL, but they're the guys who were the stars in college. And so. You know, that was the first article was sort of looking at that. And then the second was looking at Mullen at Mississippi State and how often he was able to get guys into the NFL. And, you know, the big takeaway is, is that he sort of – he had a, he brought in a lot of three-stars when he was at Mississippi State, and those guys panned out at a much higher rate than you would expect based on the overall draft rate of, of three-star recruits. And so I think it's it's a – it's an interesting way to measure Mullin's ability to develop players, right? That he brings in these three-star guys, he gets into the NFL at about a nine per, or an eight eight point three percent clip, but overall, those guys tend to go to the NFL at about a five point nine percent clip. So really, it's the difference. You know, he sent fourteen of those three-star guys to the NFL, and most normal coaches would send ten. It's over a nine-year period, so but you sort of figure that those guys who would be like maybe fringe bench players end up being quality special teams guys, if you, if you sort of apply the, the development broad base across the entire team, I think that's what we're seeing when we see Mullen succeed against teams with more talent than, in, than, than his peers. And I think it's also why we see him win games against teams with less talent. You know, he's just a good coach when it comes to development. I think this really indicates that, that, you know, you look at where recruits typically get drafted and Mullen's guys get drafted at a higher rate.
1: All right, well, and that's part of the idea that with, with that, I wanted to dive even more into the top players uh the Gators have uh, in the 2020 class and the players uh, that could possibly have on the way. Uh, so even with the lead decommitment, the 2020 class is still composed. Uh, of top talent there you know we'll work in uh what what you have been right you know writing the last couple of weeks uh there and kind of just you know top 100 top 300 uh, look uh, you know in, in some of the players here uh but the 2020 class uh like i said like i said composed of top talent even with the, the commitment of lee uh right now has six commits four in the top 300 uh and rashawn Torrance is at 326 so close to five of the six players being in the top 300 but, well, guess what? Uh, 24-7 is about to re- release an update uh, for, their cho- for their for their rankings. So all this could be uh, moot <laughs> by the time uh, some people listen to this. But, uh, but you know, as, as it stands right now, uh, this is kind of what we'll be looking at. So, uh, you know, two in the top 100 with wide receiver Leonard Manuel at 33. And uh, our defensive lineman, Johnny Brown, uh, 99th ranked player. Uh, defensive lineman, Gervin Dexter, just outside the top 100 at 117 so then you throw in What they could potentially bring in and you know, I'm not gonna list every target, you know, Florida will be going after here But some of the big names uh, out there that they can add uh, to this 2020 class and, and keep that You know that player rating average that we like so much. I uh, keep that at a, at a high note uh, but of course running back Demarcus Marcus Bobin, We mentioned him earlier the 30th ranked player uh, in, in the country, safety Avante Williams at 48, uh, running back Kevon Lee who recently just decommitted at 98, uh, Chance Williams defensive end at 130, uh, defensive tackle Timothy Smith 136, offensive lineman Joshua Braun 155, uh, Carson Beck at 158, the quarterback uh, from here in Jacksonville, wide receiver Xavier Henderson at 267, and offensive lineman Isaiah Walker at 283. So you know, there's eight more right there that. Interest is high in the Gators that you'd be filling in the roster with top 100, top 300 players. uh, And and just three recruiting cycles have completely transformed the roster to where you have depth that's not a large drop off, competitive spring and fall camps to get on the field. I, I think that's what, you know, when we look at bringing top players in, I think a lot of it goes back to the competitiveness that you have in camp and have in practice. And, you know, you're beating other top players to get on the field.
0: Sure. I mean, I think a lot of it is probabilities too, right? I mean, if you bring in, if, if you look at the quarterback position that Flores had over the last decade, I mean, Felipe Frank played very well this past year, but beyond that, you know, they were bringing, they didn't bring in necessarily top tier talent repeatedly, but even when they did, some of the guys who were top tier, so Jeff Driscoll had one decent year. Um, the rest of the time here was a little bit disappointing. You look at Jacoby Brissett, um, transferred and then played well. Um, you look at Will Greer, who's suspended. but So, you know, you, the suspension isn't something that you could have predicted and perhaps McIlwain's still the coach if Greer had been the quarterback, but, um, but, you know, those aren't things you can necessarily predict and you get attrition, you have injuries, you have those sorts of things. So the more high level recruits you can stack up and we see this with Alabama all the time. Right. I mean, it's it's not a coincidence that two years ago, um, Tua comes in and wins the national championship for him. And then last year, Jalen Hurts comes in and wins the SEC for him. I mean, having that depth when someone goes down, when someone gets hurt, when someone's ineffective is an important thing. And, and yeah, the competition makes people better. Um you know, one of the things coming out of Alabama's camp last year was that Jalen Hurts had gotten a lot better throwing the ball. Well, you know, I mean, I'm sure he was focusing on that because he was battling Tua for the, for the starting job all, all spring and all fall long. And, and, you know, he's going to be better at Oklahoma because of it now. And, and you see, you're you going to see the same thing in the quarterback room at Florida, you know, where Emery Jones and Jalen Jones, and eventually some of these guys who come in in 2020 and 2021 classes are going to be pushing people like Felipe Franks to get better. Otherwise they're going to lose their job. And, um, that's an important part of why having high-level recruits beyond just the depth, you know, that you have injuries, you have attrition, you have grade issues, you have, um, you know, just scheme fit type things that don't necessarily work. You have assistant coaches who leave and all of a sudden somebody's unhappy. So you've got all those things that just sort of happen in life. And and so you need that depth as well.
1: Yeah. And it would be interesting to, to see, and hopefully it doesn't come to this and hopefully we don't see it, but you know, Franks has that Georgia, Missouri back to back games to where, you know, he ends up getting pulled. Kyle Trask comes in. You know, Dan Mullen decides to make the move earlier, uh in, in a game where, you know, you don't fall so far behind like you did in the Missouri game. You're you're throwing him in with Emory Jones, you know, a highly rated quarterback that uh you know, we, we would Think is, is a nice fit for Dan Mullen's system and who got playing time later in the year, um, you know, with uh, some in the bowl game. Uh, saw him in the Georgia game as well. So, yeah, you know, you, you see a little bit of trust there, but you also see, you know, being able to to, to trust a, a quarterback that was highly recruited and, you know, one you had to end up taking from Ohio State and, and some other schools there. So, yeah, I definitely agree that the probability thing, of, you know, even, even if struggles uh, happen and, you know, go back to just. You know, the midseason and Frank's turning on then. I'm not saying we'll see any type of fall off there. But, you know, if it does happen, I think we feel a whole lot better about the quarterback situation with Emory Jones. Uh, if Kyle Trask sticks around, you, you'll still have him uh, there as well. But, you know, going to, back to the re- just the recruiting part of it, you'd have Emory Jones with a year under his belt uh, and then Jalen Jones uh, as well, who we know they would hope to redshirt.
0: Yeah, Well, and, and we know that those guys are going to be better than than Skylar Mornwick, right? I mean, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I mean, the guy was put into a situation that was really untenable a few years ago. It's just not, it wasn't really fair to him. But, you know, at this point, these guys are going to be prepared. I mean, you expect that if something were to happen to Franks, then Emory Jones is going to be ready to go. And if Emory Jones happens to win the job and something happens to him, um, then Franks will be ready to go. That's one of maybe the hidden things in the late season. You know, you had Trask go down with the injury, so they didn't have to make a decision. About whether to change things, but you know, you had Emory Jones sitting on the sidelines with his helmet about to blow his red shirt if something had happened to Franks, and and nothing happened to Franks. You know, he 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 got beat up a little bit in that South Carolina game, but other than that, he was able to run and run effectively and and continue to pilot the offense. And you know, we've seen it at Mississippi State where Nick Fitzgerald had had a couple of injuries and 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 wasn't able to finish the year and and different things like that. Where you know, sometimes freak things happen. You need that guy. Behind him to be just as good as the guy who's in the game, and so Mullen's really setting up the quarterback to do that, quarterback room to do that, and uh, you know hopefully we'll hear more about that pretty soon as well.
1: Yeah, even with even with a ten and three season, uh, you know a lot of those McElwain players, we still know uh, a talent influx needed needed to happen. So you know we'll go back to the the last two uh, Mullen classes and go back to 2018 his transition class and look at you know the top 300, uh, top 100 players. There were 10 top 300 five. Uh, Top 100, uh, you had Jacob Copeland, 69th ranked player, uh, Richard Garage, uh, 81st, Embry Jones, 85th, Justin Watkins, 89, Kyle Pitts, 162. And then you start getting into a string of guys here, Will, that had some contribution uh, in in their first season. Amari Burney at 178, Trey Dean at 195, Damian Pierce at 201. Uh, that was where, where those players were ranked. Andrew Chatfield, 213, uh, and uh, David Reese at 297, uh, just outside of the top 300, Malik Langham. So, you know, six of the top 300 I uh, noticed there uh, came from the state of Florida. Uh, just a little uh, note there. So, with this transition class, you know, we saw three of those players as early contributors, as I said. Amari Bernie trading, you know, got had bernie you couldn't keep off the field because he went and proved himself that he could kind of be versatile saw him get more playing times a year went on trading had to be forced in uh, a little bit when marco wilson went down you saw a lot more playing time there damian pierce his you know Started the season off with the bang, kind of tailed off toward the end of the year as we uh, as the offense started, depending on Jordan Scott and Michael P Ryan. But I think we like the potential what we saw with Damian Pierce. So three top, you know, two hundred players basically there uh, contributing, and then players we expect to make an impact in twenty nineteen. Uh, Jacob Copeland to make an impact at wide receiver, uh, being able to come back uh, from an injury last year. He'll have some more experience, uh, get a spring under his belt coming up. Richard Garage. But all the movement going on that offensive line, he's going to be really uh, highly rated offensive lineman asked to to come in here and and try and get a starting spot Uh, there. Kyle Pitts at tight end, you know, do they use him more outside? Can they use him closer to the to the line of scrimmage? We'll see how they see Kyle Pitts. But I think I like uh, what we can maybe see from him uh, toward the outside and more of a wide receiver role there. Chatfield, you will see along with where they got some defensive uh, line. You know, we know that, uh, that they need some help there uh, after losing C.C. C. Jefferson and Jakai Polite. You know, and maybe Reese and Langham, we'll see how it works out with there uh, with still the, the elder David Reese uh, on the roster there. But you're know, looking at those type of players, you know, uh, I think we saw some that have already made contributions and then a few there that we'll probably see on the field coming up this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at guys who come in, coaches who come in with their transition classes, they don't typically have guys who produce right away, and I think that's really a testament to Mullen that you've got Pitts making catches on the outside, basically a slant route, but they put him in a position where he was able to succeed and run a couple of routes that were comfortable for him, and then, you know, you look at Bernie coming in and really sort of playing linebacker in that Michigan game, and and. And throwing throwing Harbaugh for a loop a little bit, and Dean to come in and play starting cornerback basically the entire year. Certainly, there were some times where he had some learning experiences, but you know that's going to bode well for for the 2019 season. And, and then Damian Pierce, who was behind a few guys, but certainly showed some explosiveness. No, he was one of your favorite in the class. The interesting thing is, I mean, I, I think Garage is probably the guy I'd look at and say he's probably the most important guy from that class for the 2019 season, just because the offensive line seeing so much turnover. Mm. Which also means that again, if we want to look at development for for Mullen and John Hevesy, I, I think really guys like Noah Banks and Chris Bleich are people that we need to look for from that class who aren't necessarily in the top 300, but are probably going to have to perform like it because they're going to need those guys on the line. And I know we're going to get to the 19 class where where there were a lot of offensive linemen in that list, but um, you know that that's a place where where maybe the 18 class came up a little bit short, but. Uh, but still, I mean, uh, an influx of talent that uh, that's going to bode Florida well. Yep,
1: 2019 class, uh, the top 300 here, 13 uh, top 300. Uh, four of those were in the top 100 uh, as well. And you had Chris Steele. 42nd ranked player, early enrollee, will get a lot of playing time this spring because Marco Wilson uh, kind of comes back and nurses the injury there. So he could probably you know, get a lot of starting reps coming up as an early enrollee in spring practice starting. Kyrie Elam, uh, the 48th ranked player, Chris Bogle at 71, Tyron Hopper at 88, Keon Zipperer at 104, uh, Mambo Diabate at 109, another early enrollee who may find his way uh, into some playing time. Uh, wide receiver R.J. Henderson at 140. The one black at 151. A lot of people think he should be a little higher, but we do remember he did not play uh, this past fall. Uh, offensive lineman De'Ave Hammond at 242. Lloyd Summerall 243. Naquan Wright 261. Jalen Humphreys at 264. Michael Tarquin, another offensive lineman, early enrollee at 277. And then Jalen Jones was just outside uh, at uh, 306 out of the top 100 or at top 300 there. So seven of the 13 from the state of Florida, not counting the one black there as he just kind of moved to Florida uh, his senior year there. So well, one good thing about that, I had to read a lot more names there that were in the top 300, uh, and some of those guys, you know, early early enrollees. You know, we'll see what they can, how they can hedge way here uh, when we talk about top players, and they'll be coming in early now. Chris Steele, early enrollee, Mahmoud Diabate, uh, Michael Tarquin, Jalen Jones. Or Tarquin, I know, kind of nursing a shoulder injury, so maybe not uh, a lot, uh, but he can still get kind of uh, adjusted to the college football life there. Jalen Jones, you know probably the most we'll get to see him this coming up season will be uh in the spring as he learns the offense and you know get some playing time in the spring game
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you look at when you look at the way you sort of outlined this. So you look at 2018, the top commit was rated 69th. You look at 2019, the top commits 42nd. And right now in 2020, the top commit is at 33rd. So, you know, certainly trending in the right direction. Um, One thing I do think we need to caution people on is those bump classes are very, very important in terms of the overall health of the program. Um, but, you know, again, remember that Florida obviously won the national championship in, uh, in, in Meyer's second year with a few key contribute or a few key contributions from that class, but it was really sort of the three classes before that, when you looked at it, who were the main contributors. And then in t- 2007, there was quite a bit of a drop-off, particularly on the defensive side. And, and that's something, you know, as good as those players were on the defensive side of the ball, they struggled because they were learning. And I think that's something that we may end up seeing on the offensive line. I think that may even be something we see in the defensive backfield, where as good as somebody like Chris Steele is, you know, Trey Dean's a really good player too. And there were some times when he struggled in 2018. So, um, you know, the nice part is there's so many guys back in that defensive backfield that he's gonna have to earn his playing time. And maybe, maybe he's, you know, and, and from all accounts, he's a lockdown guy, but um, that is something that you need to take into account is that these guys probably are going to um, have some growing pains as they go out there, but that's all part of the process.
1: Hey, and you mentioned, we well, you know, well, I'll go look I'll go look at that 2006 class as well, and that is the gold standard. But you talked about how many of those guys contributed early and, you know, as true freshmen, we Tim Tebow Harvin, of course, the main two there, uh, but, you know, if you look at the contributions that you may get from this 2019 class, uh, we mentioned Chris Steele, uh, of course, because he'll get a lot of experience, uh, but, you know, he'll be hard pressed to, to start, uh, as you say, Will, with, with, you know, Mark Wilson comes back fully healthy, Christopher Henderson, Tradine, um, and how it kind of shakes out there. Uh, he'll get some playing time, of course, but uh, as you said, fart is deep there. Uh, Keon Zipper, is he enough of a weapon uh, at tight end as a young guy? Uh, I love what I saw from his size and his speed. He is a you know, mismatch waiting to happen. Uh, there, can he come in in, in the fall and, and be ready to go? Mamoudi Abate and other people call him, you know, mature for his age. Being able to come in a size, uh, there, can he come in as an early enrollee? get on the field fast enough and and get adjusted uh, there as a kind of versatile player along the outside linebacker spot Uh, and, and the one black, you know, I really like his versatility. I think that might be where he might get on the field a little bit early, especially in some of those early season and late season cupcake games, as we like to call them and kind of see what he does. You know, you save that red shirt there, but I do think there might be times with his versatility. You could also see him on the field.
0: Absolutely, and I, you know, Florida is really well represented at the NFL Combine coming up, yeah. and so there's going to be spaces for these guys to step in. I mean, you know, linebacker's been an area where there's been where there's been a necessary um, speed infusion, and so having guys like like Black and and Diabate and and Hopper jump in there is going to be really important. I mean, the other place I think you'll really see the difference for this particular class is special teams. So. Mm you know, to be able to put your best guy back on special teams to return punts or your most explosive guy to return punts, return kickoffs to go get the punt block or the kickoff block. You know, I remember Rainey being on the block teams, um, you know, for a lot of those Urban Meyer teams where he was blocking punts. And that's only because you can put somebody like that on on the field for special teams because you've got other guys who who have similar speed on the offense and he can't really break into the you know he can't break it onto the field as as anything other than special teams and so I mean special teams are a big part of it and that's a place that Mullen I think is going to emphasize certainly a place that improved early in the year I think towards the end of the year there were a few few blocked punts we'd like to forget but but again I think that's maybe where you see the 19 class really improve this Florida team is giving them the depth on special teams to, uh, to maybe put some of their guys out there in positions to succeed in that particular space.
1: Yep. So I, uh- Going to bring up that 2006 class because it is a standard but you know, I don't think it's fair to sit here and compare right now to just because once I start reading some of these names, you'll realize, oh, wow. You know, it's, if you have to go back and and look, and a lot of you out there already know the, the type of players that that was in that class, a class out of 24, uh, the national rank of, uh, of number two in the country. But you have Percy Harvin, who is the number two ranked player in the country. Tim Tebow, 21st ranked player in the country. Carl Johnson at 20. To 24th ranked player, Brandon Spikes at 33. Every one of those guys right there, if you're top what, five players right there. Uh, you know, not necessarily not all immediate, but of course in their careers at Florida, uh, went on to do great things. Uh, then you had Jamar Hornsby 78, Jermaine Cunningham, 85. Uh Jared Faison, 93, Mon Williams, 95, uh Jim Barry, 90 at ninety-ninth ranked player, uh Siobhan Walker at uh, 107, uh Jacques Rickerson, 116, Justin Williams, 123, uh Dustin Doe at 132, Marcus Gilbert, 137, Brandon Antoine at 138, Riley Cooper at 159. Hey, we look, we just hit 150 right there. I can't tell you how many names I just read. <laughs> uh AJ Jones at 185, Corey Hobbs at 220 at 257 so here we go it's kind of a breakdown there 19 of the 24 were top 300 recruits uh that's you know that's uh big time big time uh, uh contributors there uh three big contributors also came out of the uh, uh out, outside of the top 300 in that class and brandon james lawrence marsh murray's hurt uh of course like every class it was a mixed bag will uh but But the top of this class is unmatched uh, in what they were able to do. And some of the best players in college football history, some of the best players in Gator football history, the gold standard, nine top 100 players, 19 top 300 players.
0: Yeah, well, this sort of goes back to the article that I was talking about. I mean, you know, you look at Harvin, ranked number two. I mean, we knew that guy was going to be in the pro the <laughs> step to the field. and The reality is if he could have skipped more than one year of college, he probably would have and would have been able to do it quite well. I mean, he was just that talented. You look at Tebow at 21, Carl Johnson at 24, Brandon Spikes at 33, all guys who were next level talents. And then some of the names you read off, I mean, Jermaine Cunningham took a little bit longer to develop. He was ranked 78 or 85th overall. You look at somebody like uh, Dustin Doe, certainly a contributor, but not necessarily a star. Marcus Gilbert has had a very successful career at 137. Riley Cooper at 159. You know, you really didn't notice him too much until Harvin left, mm-hmm. and so you know you look at you look at uh, Cooper at 159, and then you look at this year's class R.J. Henderson at 140. So you know that would sort of be maybe what our expectations of somebody like R.J. Henderson should be, just based on where he's ranked. So you know it, it, the the real difference makers when it comes to a class in year one are those guys who are ranked in the top 20. I mean, you know, Tebow wasn't even a starter his first year, but was still a difference maker. And he was outside the top 20 a little bit. Um, Harvin was the guy who came in and made the immediate difference, and he was ranked number two, right? And so there isn't anybody in the 2019 class who's ranked in the in, who's ranked two. Um, and certainly those are some guys that Mullen's going to have to add over the next couple of years. But again, like we've discussed, the 2020 class has much higher rated guys at this time than he had last year. And the 2021 class as well has some guys who are ranked in that space, too. So I'm certainly heading in the right direction. And I expect, you know, Mullen is more of a slow build, clearly, than, than Urban Meyer was. He hasn't brought in 19 top 300 guys in the second class. But um, again, I think that Mullen's reputation from a, from a coaching perspective is, is warranted. And that's one of the things that, that we've been looking at recently.
1: Man, how how would have Urban Meyer recruited behind Jim McElwain? That would that would that would be a storyline right there. <laughs> 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 that would that would, that, would, that would have been fun to to us see there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just going back, you know, listen those names, yeah, I did, and then going back to the twenty twenty class, what's coming up, and and what they already have. Like I guess Leonard Manuel thirty third. Uh, Johnny Brown, 99. Gervin Dexter, uh, just outside the top 100 at, at 117. Uh, but, you know, add in, if you had a wish list uh, right now of players uh, that you want to go get in, in 2020 and go back and just kind of the rankings, are DeMarcus Bowman, a top 30 player. Carson Beck at 158. Chance Williams at 130. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's taken those type of players uh, to get us back and kind of why we're all excited for this 2020 class of what the Gators have in the class and what they could have uh coming up and you know, like i said even though Gators just went 10 and 3 uh, a lot of those were michael wayne players we could take a look at the classes that he brought in as well uh brought in the you know the, the top 300 and, and see the contributors there i uh, would go back to 2015 21 signees only four in the top 300 There, offensive lineman martez ivy uh cc jefferson defensive end running back jordan scarlet running back D'Anthony mcgriff those were only four top 300 and Pretty good contributions, except for Dan from who had never even played a snap uh, for Florida. You know, the best players outside of the top 300 in that class, Antonio Callaway, Tyler Jordan, Jabari Zuniga, who we're expecting big things of uh, this year, Fred Johnson, who who left early for the NFL, uh, Nick Buchanan, who could be starting uh, at center. So a uh, little mixed bag there, Will, of uh, some of the top-rated players. But uh, actually going back and looking at it, not a, not a bad class when you look at some of those names I just brought up there
0: no but i mean it it, it pales in comparison yeah. to where you want to be right yeah. I mean, if you look at any alabama class over the last five years you start naming off names it's going to be a longer list than that um you know, I, we never – when we're talking about recruiting, we never say a, a low five-star can't make it to the – or a low four-star can't make it to the NFL or can't be a major contributor or even a low three-star can't. It's just it's a probability thing. So if you bring in 25 three-stars, the chances that 18 of them are going to be high-level contributors is relatively low. That doesn't mean that the guy who's rated a three-star isn't going to be the best player on the field, <laughs> as certainly Oklahoma showed with Baker Mayfield and some other guys as well. But – um you know, I, I think that's really what you see here. Is you look at, you know, the four top, the four top three hundred. You mentioned the Ivy, Jefferson, Scarlet, and then McGriff. I mean, three of the four panned out. That's great, but we'd much rather have nine of the twelve pan out. <laughs> so that's that's hopefully what we can get with Mullen because he's certainly brought in more guys in that in that uh, frame.
1: Right. Go to twenty sixteen quickly. You know, twenty five signees. Six were in the top three hundred in that class. Uh, look, defensive end, Antonius Clayton, we're still kind of waiting to see uh, what can happen. Tyree Cleveland, uh, you know, we see the potential uh, in Tyree Cleveland, not necessarily, you know, p- hoping some, for some more production. Cornerback, uh, Chauncey Garnick Johnson, lived up to every bit of the billing as a top 300 player. Quarterback, Felipe Franks, on his way uh, there under Dan Mullen, took a coaching change. Uh, and it's a development under, uh, you know, uh, one of the best, better offensive all offensive coaches uh, in the country with Mullen to, to you know, kind of tap into Felipe Franks, uh, but wide receiver Freddie Swain, wide receiver Josh Hammond also uh, in that top 300 and kind of also showed uh, once Dan Mullen came in, how much more valuable uh, they could be, you know, so you know, besides Chauncey Garner Johnson, nothing really stands out uh, as really great, but, you know, we saw Franks, Hammond, Swain all improve. Uh, now we wait to see that next step uh, and, and the top player Clayton, who's really yet to do anything. of note?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, Cleveland's been injured quite a bit. So I think yeah. that sort of hampered him and Swain and Hammond were sort of in that ranking area where we talked about with Riley Cooper. So, you know, coming into their senior year, Swain certainly was a big contributor last year on special teams, um, just from the standpoint of being able to make sure that he made the right decision on punt, on punt coverage, you know, to, to make sure that he was fair catching when he should, that he was letting it go when he should. And then, and then had a couple of really good returns as well. So, um, but certainly, you know, Clayton is the guy that you look at and say you know, he's the guy who needs to be the star. And the fact that he hasn't turned into a star um, makes it even more important that Polite and Zaniga were able to really turn things on in Grantham's defense last year. Because, uh, you know, if those guys had struggled, there just wouldn't have been anybody to put a pass rush together. And that pass, r- pass rush was certainly important to Florida last year.
1: And They were really important in the uh, stars don't matter argument because they were they have been some lower rated players that really that really showed up and and uh, you know became you know we'll see with Zuniga uh, you know, we've we've been really kind of waiting for uh, you know I think a lot of people were kind of pointing at him maybe to be what Jacopo Light ended up being uh, this past uh, this past season so you know kind of. Kind of roles are not necessarily the same, but polite stands up a whole lot more uh, than Zuniga was asked to, and will be that way this year as well with, with Grenari coming in to kind of play that more uh, polite role. So we'll see uh, Jabbar Zuniga get one more shot at uh, really you know, kind of turning it on uh, more consistently throughout, throughout the season. Uh, Jim McElwain's final class 2017, 23 signees, 10 top 300. So he did you know rise the, uh, you know, rise the crop there. there. Uh, today on Slayton. Uh, James Robinson, Zachary Carter, C.J. Henderson, Brad Stewart, Marco Wilson, Daquan Green, Kadeem Telford, T.J. Moore, Kamori Gamble. Uh, so uh, you know, as it stands now, you know, this one is a bit disappointing besides Henderson and Wilson. Uh, nothing really to write home about. A couple of players not on the team anymore. Uh, still waiting for Slayton and Carter to emerge as consistent contributors.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, you know, the 2017 season was certainly, um, the end for McElwain and and this was part of it is that none of these guys were really coming in and, and contributing early. And so we had a lot of injuries in 2017 and with those injuries needed guys to step in. And, and in some cases we're able to do that. I mean, Henderson played a lot, certainly Marco Wilson played a lot as well, but, uh, you know, Daquan green's already transferred. Um, you know, gamble has shown flashes, but hasn't necessarily been a consistent threat at tight end. So, um, yeah, this this is one of those where before the 2017 class, nobody really thought McIlwain was in the hot seat. So this class wasn't really impacted by you know negative recruiting. I wouldn't imagine that much. Um, I think some of these guys are going to come through as as uh, as Grantham, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. I think Slayton's a really good player, and I think we're going to see that as he as he gets more of an opportunity and and earns his way into the lineup. But you know, they've also brought in some grad transfers who were able to win. Um, Win time away. So Adam Schuler got some time at defensive tackle, and all of a sudden, the amount we saw Slayton went down quite a bit. And so um, we'll see whether that competition from Schuler um, raises the level of Slayton and, and Conliff, and whether they can uh, whether they can break in in 2019.
1: Oh, I thought you were going back to the uh, to the year of 2017, grad transfer, and uh, won Malik Zaire.
0: <laughs> no, that, that didn't happen. I don't I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> what, you, what you talk about. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> all
1: right. Well, so, yeah, kind of in summary, and you, you've kind of mentioned it through, throughout here, you know, when comparing uh, all these, of course, you know, it's no secret. Of course, we, we've hit it all. You know, you know, everybody knows it out there. Uh, get better players, win more games. But when you look at why, you know, one thing that stands out to me is that, you know, comparing that, that 2006 class, you know, the sheer number allows for failures, allows for flexi- flexibility. You know, when guys don't work out, you know, there's another reason why I'm kind of upset at myself for not making this point more but you know also pair these classes with the classes around them in previous years and years after and that's you know the, it's the combination of classes that that puts you where you need to be and we've seen the talent level rise under Mullen compared to where it was under Jim mcwayne and it's going to be how the 2018 transition class the 2019 bump class and the 2020 class that is all to such a great start, all get interwoven to, to, together to make something special happen. The development will be there. We know that from Mullins' track record. Start getting him these top recruits like we see him getting now and the potential is there for some you know, big things year in and year out. This 2020 class uh, has the chance to be special if you want to go by recruiting rankings and, and the way the class is starting out. Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, I mean, actually, Florida – When he came two and four, then 11 and two, then 10 and two, 12 and one lost to Nebraska, and then went 12 and one and won the national championship over Florida State. So it was sort of a five year building period. And if you look at Meyer, a lot of his success came from the recruits that Zook brought in. So maybe Zook didn't have the same success, but he was able to bring those guys in. And then it was a quick turnaround for Meyer because of all the players that were already in the cupboard from Zook. And, uh, you know, that is not something that Mullen has, right? Mullen does not have that same level of recruiting that Zook brought in under McIlwain. And so maybe this is a three, four, five year build, um, very much in the way you brought in Zook after Spurrier. Zook brought in all those guys who then Meyer was able to coach up and get to perform in 2006. And similarly, Mullen is building towards that. And, uh, uh, you know, we're going to see that three, four, five years out from now. So, you know, by then maybe uh, Saban will retire too, and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be a little bit easier. But uh, you know, I mean, certainly things are heading in the right direction. I certainly think you want to um, you want to look at the classes as a whole. You don't necessarily want to. I mean, you would much rather have three consistent classes than having ping pong and all over the place in terms of ranking. Uh, but I think most people would acknowledge that that top tier talent, those top top five, top ten, top fifteen guys or guys that Mullen's gonna have to bring to Florida. You know, if he brings in a guy who's who's top ten at wide receiver who can contribute right away and all of a sudden you got a weapon out there like a Harvin or, you know, just a guy who can be a game changer at any moment. When he touches the ball, you know he can take it to the house. That makes it that puts a lot of pressure on the opposing defense and Mullen's gonna know how to use him. So those guys are important and I'm not sure he's got that guy yet, but we'll see.
1: I ah, will. So, uh, of course last week, uh, a lot of news there. So I, m- I missed you last week, but a lot of news on Todd Grantham, uh, and him staying, uh, as defensive coordinator at, at Florida, shunning the, uh, NFL and then Cincinnati Beagles in the process and uh, when it started early on I won't go lie I I thought uh, Grantham was probably on his way out the door Uh, but uh, in the end uh, stays at Florida for at least another year with a little nice uh, bump in salary uh, there and a contract extension as well but uh, we know the the contracts don't really mean anything especially there's some clauses in there where he can go to a head coaching job in college football or a uh, defensive coordinator or head coaching position in the NFL as well uh, there. That kind of you know helps him. Uh, but I was, for one, was glad to see him stay and uh, really looking for uh, an improvement, even more improvement in, with the defense in, in year two. So uh, what were your thoughts on, on Grantham deciding to stay at Florida?
0: Yeah, the Bengals never really made sense for me. I I think I tweeted something out when the rumors were going around that, you know, it's just if he wants to be a head coach going to the defensive coordinator of the Bengals, I don't know really gets him there, Um, especially with the guy that the Bengals hired. who's like a 35 year old. He's going to get all the credit like McVay did in, in Los Angeles if things go well. And then, you know they're going to hire the offensive coordinator who's young, not the defensive coordinator who's old, if, if things go well. So it didn't make sense to me from that standpoint. But obviously, it makes sense from a leverage standpoint, because you can leverage that into either clauses to get out or or more money and more power to him. I, you know, Grantham had a great year last year. I think when you look at his track record, he is a good, but not elite defensive coordinator. That's sort of been, you know, at Georgia, he had some pretty good years. He had some kind of mediocre years. Same thing when you looked at him at Louisville. Um, You know, he hasn't been a dynamic recruiter on the defensive side of the ball. Um, You know, at Georgia, they weren't necessarily bringing in high, high, high level guys any more than they have been. Before or after he was there, so um, I think he's a I think he's a really good defensive coordinator. I don't know whether he's an elite defensive coordinator. Maybe he'll prove me wrong this year and they'll get even better. I mean, certainly the defense improved a ton. But um, you know, one of the things in college, I think a three four a three three five defense really gives quarterbacks fits. I think the scheme actually makes a big difference. I think we saw that with Randy Shannon's defenses that were really predictable. And, you know, so the improvement, a lot of that probably just came from the scheme change and and that sort of stuff. So, you know, I'm not as high on Grantham as most people are. I think he's a good defensive coordinator. I don't think he's elite. I think 2 million bucks or whatever, 1.8, whatever it is he's getting paid is an awful lot to pay a defensive coordinator. But I also think there's a lot of value to having continuity. Right. So having somebody there who um, it's a second year, it's the same system, guys are going to be able to play rather than necessarily having to think about what they're doing before they go. And, And you would expect that with some of the holdovers that they've got coming back that we would see guys really excel in that system just because of their familiarity.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm glad uh, that he's saying. Uh, once again, it's just uh, you. You are starting to hear his name on the recruiting trail uh, a little bit more. I don't know if other schools will. I I know they will. How much of an impact will it make? Because uh, hey, you know he's going to be going to the NFL sometime soon. And he has that. He has that dream. So w- we'll see some negative recruiting out there. But also, kind of believe in. And I said it last week too. You know, you as long as you got the head man in place and and Mullen there, some of the recruiting kind of takes care of itself. If uh, you know if you got it going the right way, and it seems like. Uh, uh, the Gators do right now uh, on the trail. So, Will, um, I got a couple more things, but uh, what you got coming up on Reading Reaction soon?
0: Yeah, so I've am i got something on Kendall Bryles that hopefully is going to come out in the next couple of days, just looking at Florida State's offensive coordinator and what that maybe means, and then uh, diving into some film, hopefully. It's been a while since I've had some time to do that. So I'm actually looking at some of the guys who maybe are coming in or some of the things I expect to see Mullen do as he expands the playbook this year with Franks under center, because certainly we saw Franks get a lot more comfortable between uh, – between that Missouri game to the Florida State game and then a lot more comfortable from the Florida State game to the Michigan game. And so what does that mean going forward? So what happened with, um, with Dak Prescott from year one to year two in terms of how the offense changed? What happened from Nick Fitzgerald from year one to year two? Sort of trying to look at that and see what we might be able to expect coming up in, this, in the 2019 season.
1: Awesome, and uh, coming up on the uh, podcast, spring practice should be starting in a couple of weeks or whatever, so Will and I will kind of well, we'll do one episode where we look at the offense heading into the spring and then the uh, next episode looking at the defense. And kind of, uh, well, I think uh, one good way I think I want to do it, I think I want to go, instead of just uh, you know kind of, generic preview is, just, you know, probably if I have a question about one position group and you have the either same question or a different question, but maybe kind of do a preview based on the uh, you know, questions we have for, for the position groupings on the field.
0: Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to that. I'm actually, I'm going to be going to the game with my son. So it's going to be his first time in the swamp. He's, he's, uh, we, we wanted to take him to a game where if he wanted to leave early, nobody was going to be disappointed. So he's, uh, so he's going to be coming down for the spring game. So I'm excited and it's going to be fun to break it down.
1: All right, and uh, so a couple more items here. You know, stand up and holler! Uh, it's uh, it's Gator Nation Giving Day. So if you're if you're listening to us live, uh, or you know, on the night of February 26th, that's what uh, what it is right now. Uh, or you know, if you catch it uh, catch it catch us later on. But heck, I'm I'm sure UF will still accept donations <laughs> in a couple of days following. They'll never they'll never turn down money. But uh, if you can, you know, let's show the world uh, what a difference thousands of Gators in 24 hours can make when we come together. As one, and stand up and holler, Getter Nation Giving Day! So when you make a gift to the program, department, research area, or campus activity, that means the most to you. You're not only ensuring. Uh, the F- Florida as a top 10 public education remains one of the strongest in the nation, but you're supporting all of the advances, developments and bold ideas that come out of the University of Florida. So it's an initiative uh, that Florida kind of you know, kind of sprung on us pretty quick uh, kind of surprising there. Uh, you know, and since this is a uh, football centric podcast and if you want to donate to the athletic fund, let it help uh, with the new football locker rooms coming this summer. Or the new standalone football facility uh that will start construction in 2020 and uh that's how you can help so you know go uh you know, can search it there um and, you know Getter nation giving day it's been all over twitter uh there's a website dedicated to it as uh, uh, as well but will we you know when when scott strickman was hired part of it was because he had a really good background at mississippi state of being able to help you know fund fundraising and it was kind of surprising to me how. Well, this kind of took off today with you know not a lot of you know prep, not a lot of uh, uh, of notice that this was going to happen. And I saw a lot of people retweeting it, and a lot of people you know, donating money uh, to the University of Florida today.
0: Yeah, so it turns out Florida is a really special place, right? So, <laughs> I mean, I met my wife there, had some of the best days of my lives while I was there. I go down there with my kids, and we hang out on campus, and you know, it it, it feels like home when I go back there. And for somebody who moved around quite a bit. Um, especially after you know about halfway through high school, we moved around a lot. And so, you know, Florida was sort of a place where I sat for four and a half years and 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 got some continuity in my life. So it's a special place, and it's not a surprise to me that other people feel that way as well. and 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 certainly, one way to show that is by donating to the program. I will say the balance sheet under Strickland has been pretty healthy, but he's also ha- he also hasn't been afraid to spend. And that's one of the criticisms under Foley. Um, was just, you know, that the facilities had fallen behind some of the guys who were out there. And, you know, if you want a top tier program, you got to keep up with it. And you can argue whether that's the place where a university should be spending its resources. But the reality is is that the football program brings enough notoriety to all universities that they're going to spend in that place. And so, um, you know, I think it's a worthwhile investment. But certainly, you know, if you want to if you want to donate to engineering, I'm sure they take it, too. And and it's on there. Well, and that's a place where I, you know, where if I'm going to put money, it would go in that direction because that's where I was, was in the chemical engineering program. So, um, like I said, it's a special place. It's not a surprise that Gators want to support their support their school, and I'm glad it picked up because it's kind of a cool initiative.
1: All right, yep, and uh, one more thing before we go here, and a uh, special shout-out and one that puts things uh, in perspective, and uh, this one goes out to, to Shane Pittman and his son Griffin. Uh, Griffin uh, has been – Diagnosed with kidney cancer and uh, Shane wanted to be able to show Griffin one day all the support that Gator Nation has to offer and uh, that we can support Uh, You know Griffin through this uh, time of going through chemo and uh, on the way to recovery So Griffin is currently doing well and uh, this is a curable type of cancer, but uh, that doesn't lessen the blow uh, of a child having to go through this and, and not being able to to you know live just his life uh as a kid. So Gators breakdown listeners and, and get nation keep griffin in your thoughts, prayers, uh or however you share good vibes out there and uh you know, come together, c- come together, show some support out there for Shane. I know a lot of you listeners out there know Shane and, and follow him on Twitter. So uh reach out and uh you know show some support there. But uh well you know things like that. We get to you know, talk football here and, and have a lot of fun with it. But uh some things out there are a lot more important than that.
0: Yeah, man. Certainly puts things in perspective and and you know, prayers out to to Griffin and to Shane and and certainly we're we're there here to support in any way we can and and uh you know, just hopefully uh hopefully everything turns out for the best and, and we'll be rooting for you.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So Well, pretty good episode here, Uh, man. We just spent almost an hour uh, talking recruiting there, so it's uh, never ends, Dave. It never ends. It it, it never ends. We can we can uh, we can spin, we can dive in, we can however we want to do it. Uh, But uh, even I even thought to myself, there's no way we'll get that long of an episode with just this talk, but uh, it never fails.
0: No, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. But, you know, I mean, that's part of what makes it interesting. I mean, this is turned into a, um, you know, 365 day sport at this point. And recruiting is almost as important or at least as interesting as some of the stuff that happens on the field. And, uh, you know, it's a lot like the NBA where in the middle of the season, people are already talking about where Durant's going to be next and where other people are going to go and all that sort of stuff. And college football sort of got that as well. So, um, it certainly keeps it interesting, keeps everybody talking and and we enjoy that. So it's, it's a good time.
1: Yep. Even, even with the roller coaster that it is, it's, it's still, still fun to follow as uh, long as, uh, no overreaction, no, no panic and all that kind of stuff. Uh just having some fun with it and then following the storylines as it goes, uh, Good, bad, up and down. That's just just uh, just the way it goes. Uh, but yeah, like I said, spring uh, spring football previews coming up. Uh, you know, if there's a you know surprise commitment or a commitment happening out there, you know, we'll get it out there somehow, some way uh, here on uh, Gators Breakdown as well. So keep uh, keep an eye out for that. As uh, you know, we never know. As I said, Kevon Lee committing last last Friday was kind of a big surprise. You know, so maybe some uh, things shift back the other way here. Uh, coming up soon for the 2020 class. So, uh, Will, man, thanks for uh, joining me here on this episode.
0: Yeah, man, I'm excited for the 24/7 rankings to come out tomorrow, so we can hear yeah. about so we can hear about how all of our commits have been downgraded because they committed to Florida. Right. Yeah, I, I suspect there's going to be some guys on Florida's target list who who shoot up that ladder quite a bit as well. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing where it sort of pans out. And um, we're a little bit early in in the space. Um, you know, probably a couple of months from now is when those ratings really start to even out and when it really starts to mean something.
1: Yeah, but a lot of it's right now based off of, you know, recent camps and, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, some people who, who don't like camps and players rise and fall because of camps, this ranking's probably not for you. <laughs> but uh,
0: At least they're not imaginary commits like that guy that rivals <laughs> rankings,
1: so. Wow, that was... Uh, Man. Not a good look. No, no. I know there's some people on the rival side I have a lot of respect for, but you know, of course they're not involved at, at all uh, with how that happened. But uh, that's uh, optics matter, as we say, as we say a lot, and that 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 one is not good. Uh,
0: you know, it, it, it's uh, it's always good to have to defend something like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, inevitably, in in thousands of guys they rank, their algorithms have to take things into account. Um, they're pretty accurate, so yep. you know. We'll uh, we'll give we'll give him a pass on this one, I suppose.
1: Yeah, we, for sure, we will. All right, uh, that's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site ReadAndReaction.com. dot I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators it Breakdown.